We get to start a new chapter this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a chapter I enjoy. Um, a lot of a lot of neat stuff set before us this morning on proving uh, who Jesus said he said he was. Because if he really wasn't the Lord like he said he was, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, guess what? We're wasting our time this morning. You could have slept in a whole nother hour or two, <laughs> right? Um, so this morning we're going to get through some scriptures that really point to the fact that, hey, Jesus proved it. He not just said he was, he actually did the things that would accompany what the scripture said he would do. Um, in the next week, some of my favorite scriptures, we'll finish the last 10 verses of Matthew 11 next week. Before we jump in here, well, let's pray in a moment. I want to first lay out um, what does proof mean when it refers to whiskey? Well, I'm glad you asked, Mom. Um, <clears throat> or other distilled alcoholic beverages. In very old days, whiskey was proved to be good whiskey that it had enough alcohol in it and had not been watered down by pouring the whiskey upon a huge pallet of gunpowder. They would touch a match to the powder, and if it ignited, it was proof, then it was good whiskey. The proof was there. However, if it had too much water in the whiskey, the powder would be too wet to ignite it. So about 50% of alcohol and water mixed together will actually allow that gunpowder to catch fire. Thus, 50% alcohol became 100 proof. Have you heard that before? 100 proof. That was good whiskey, which is why today it is called 100 proof whiskey. And no, I'm not advocating at all for drinking. This is just an illustration. Freedom Fellowship. My mom doesn't drink, by the way. Um, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. There's a verse I want to look at with you guys. In regards to the will of God, Ephesians chapter 5. Us men went through Ephesians chapter 6 together a few weeks ago at our men's retreat. And it tells us here in verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And when the scriptures speak to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul's saying, hey, understand what God is saying. And then he tells us, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Do you guys understand? God wants us to walk with him, to walk in the Spirit, to be in step with the Spirit, to bear fruits of the Spirit. That's what we get to do as children of God. He doesn't want us to be unwise and like the world. And if we're all getting drunk and being stupid, what good is that? You're not walking with the Lord. You're not thinking straight. Okay, God wants us to be with him. So, why is that important? Because I think that's kind of proof <laughs> that God is alive. How's the world going to see? Are they going to believe in our Jesus if we're out drinking, being like the world, acting stupid? I don't know. When I used to drink, I did stupid stuff. Anyone else do that? Or was I the only one? Okay, good. Anyways, <laughs> not a good witness. So let's talk this morning together about proof. Okay, proof is a test or a trial of something to establish whether it is true. So what all, we all desire proof, we need to know if it's true, and we need to know if it's a good thing. 
So the question I want to throw out to you guys this morning, have you ever personally been rocked so hardcore to the foundation of your faith that doubts came, that it rocked you in such a way it turned your world upside down? Has that ever happened to you personally? Maybe it was a difficult question that came up about God or maybe something in his word. This doesn't make sense, okay? This is making me rethink things that I thought I knew and I thought I understood, okay? Maybe it was a difficult life circumstance. Something happened. I never saw that happen. I didn't know it was going to be so hard. How could this happen to me or to them? Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Maybe it was bankruptcy. Maybe a boyfriend broke up with you. Maybe a spouse left you. Maybe you have a child who's walked away from the faith. It can be a lot of different things. But that also sometimes can rock our faith. Have you ever experienced doubt as a Christian? How about despair? Questions, hesitations, uncertainty, reservations about our faith, indecision, vacillation. You see, guys, you're in good company than as a Christian if you have. Really good company. Why? How many of you guys have heard of John the Baptist? Right? Greatest man who ever lived. <clears throat> Not my words. Anyways, he has doubts. And we're going to see set before us this morning. His, do- his doubts were authentic. They were very real, authentic, genuine Christian questions. Or what I like to call it is Christianity 200 proof. Okay, 50% is 100%. Well, guess what? 200% then for us Christians. So a simple outline. I hope you guys have a handout this morning. We're going to look at proof, more proof, double proof, and final proof. Pretty simple. Can we handle that? Awesome. Thought we'd keep it simple this morning. Why? Because you guys got an extra hour of sleep that really can mess with some people. <laughs> so let's look at the proof together. Look at verse 1 here in Matthew chapter 11. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard uh, in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John is perplexed, right? Here we get a little moment of a prophet's pause in the first three verses. This outdoorsman, right? A child of the desert, wide open spaces, now confined to this little dungeon in this castle of Miraculous, okay? Here's Miraculous, hilltop there. Um, John would find it very easy, I think, at this point, being imprisoned, to be discouraged in who Jesus said he was. Would you guys agree? Okay? I'm the prophet. I got to baptize Jesus. I saw a dove from heaven descend upon him when I was baptized. And the voice of God from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
I was telling people to follow him and not me because he's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And now I'm stuck in jail. My faith maybe is rocked now. I don't know if I can believe anymore because if Jesus really was who he said he was and he really loved me, why would I be here? So what do we know about miraculous? Glad you asked. The word means a sword. Kind of a cool name for a city, right? It's 15 miles southeast of where the Jordan River um, goes into the Jordan there. It's on the eastward side of the Dead Sea. I want you guys to catch this. We today get discouraged in much better circumstances, don't we? Think about that. We get much more discouraged. So, John couldn't understand Jesus' ministry. He wasn't grasping what is going on. So he wondered, is there another to come then? Because the, the scriptures say, the king will return, and he will conquer, and he will rule. All you're doing, Jesus, is multiplying some fish, doing some healings, preaching some good words. I thought you were coming. You were the coming judge. Not to save. Maybe he was being impatient with Christ's quiet methods. But John does the most excellent thing anyone could do here. He sent this little delegation, go straight to Jesus for answers. I love that. Jot that down in your notes. Go straight to Jesus for answers. But it's so much easier. Hey Siri, call Pastor Landon. I don't know it all. I don't have a clue. I know one who's much wiser than I am, right? Go. Hey, sorry, Siri. <laughs> oh, boy. We'll use that illustration again. <laughs> so, it's good to go straight to Jesus. Why, guys? Because doubts, if hidden, they will fester. Doubts, if shared with others, may spread. And then doubts should always be brought directly to Jesus. We go to him. Griffith Thomas said this, God is not wounded by reverent challenge. I like that. Don't be like, ooh, I don't know if God can handle that question. I have this doubt. Is he going to be mad if I ask? Why is this going on? You guys can jot down Psalm 42, verse 9. It's one of the ones that the sons of Korah wrote. And they said, I will say to God, my rock. What do you guys think of when you think of the rock? Firm foundation, don't you? Right? God, you're my rock. You're a foundation, right? Why have you forgotten me? That's what they said. Have you guys ever done that? Oh, I know who you are. But man... Why is this going on? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? So proof. If you guys look at verses four to six here, it really lays out the proof that they're speaking to. So Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell the John, or John the things which you hear and you see. So first Jesus made this dynamic do, okay, of, of wait and watch. You guys can jot down Luke 
chapter 7, verse 21. In that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Okay, so this is Luke's account of the same passage. They're there. Hey, just go tell John. Okay, go tell him just what you see. What's happening? And this is what Jesus is doing. So in verse 5, it says, The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are clean, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. I think that's pretty cool. But that's not about me. I want more Jesus. I like William Barclay. If you guys want a good commentator, write down William Barclay. He's a good one to read. He said this, John probably escaped or expected to hear, my armies are massing, Caesarea, the headquarters of the Roman government, it's about to fall. The sinners are being obliterated. You guys know what word I'm trying to say? Obliterated. There we go. And judgment has begun. He would have expected Jesus to say, the wrath of God is on the march. But Jesus said, the mercy of God is here. Let us remember that where pain is soothed and sorrow turned to joy, where suffering and death are vanquished, there is the kingdom of God. Jesus' answer was, go back and tell John that the love of God is here. I like that. So by Jesus' answer then for us here in verse 5, we see that John doubted his work, not necessarily him. You see the distinction? So John did not overlook the scriptures and what they spoke to of Jesus' healing, delivering, and preaching that were all prophesied there in the Old Testament. I love verse 5 because it really uh, conflates or fuses together for us Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, and Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. In Isaiah 35, it says, When he comes, speaking of the Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind, he will unplug the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap like deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Is that what Jesus has been doing? A whole lot of it. And then in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. And you guys know the first time Jesus ever preached, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and went right to 61, and that's what he read. This is why I'm here as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I'm here to preach good tidings to the poor. So actually, he gives them six works of fulfilled Old Testament messianic prophecies. So does Jesus ever look different to you? Does he look different to you? Does Jesus look different to you today than he did five years ago? Ten years ago? Maybe even a year ago? You see, guys, the way he is working in your life paints a picture of who he is often. You see, Jesus said the proof is in the healing, the proof. It's in the delivering. The proof is in the raising. The proof is in the preaching. And those things happen in our lives when he touches us, when we see his faithfulness, 
when his word is preached to us. Wow. You see, blind eyes are seeing things they had never seen before. The cripples, we have them leaping. Lepers, once shut out of society, they're now cleansed. They're restored back into fellowship. Ears that have heard no song of a bird or of music being played, okay? They're now listening. The dead are, are raised and not just back to life, but spiritually coming alive. The spiritually poor who had no soul uh, are now being in this place of hearing the reality of the kingdom. The good news is being preached and they're now rich towards God. So go and tell John, I am master here. Over, isn't that cool? <laughs> or we can pause for a second. I love Photoshop, okay? Like Jesus to me, like my kids are into karate right now, ninjas, all that kind of stuff. Like Jesus just kicks butt compared to anybody. You guys understand that? Okay, so when he declares that he is master or he is the I am, okay, I am there. Even in death, I am, I am there. I am the promised Messiah. I am the coming one. That's who he says he is. And he proved it, guys. And he's coming again. If you guys don't think he's coming soon, you need to open the book. Over 300 prophecies concerning his first coming and they were fulfilled to a T. And there's eight times that amount concerning his second coming and the church doesn't even want to talk about it. It's all over the word. If we're actually in the scripture, we're going to see, whoa, he is coming. And the second time he ain't coming to preach to the poor, he's coming to kick some butt and set things straight. And I think that's what John was hoping for. I can't wait for him to come. I wish John could be here with us this morning. Hey, bro, it's all good. We know you got beheaded. That sucks. You died before Jesus died for your sins. But hey, you had faith. And it's all good because he's going to come back. And he is going to rule. And he is going to reign. He's coming back. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem. I'm okay if the rapture happens today, but I'm okay if it happens after 2020 so I can go to Israel and see it all. <laughs> Either way, we're getting there. Verse 6, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What? Jesus doesn't offend anybody. He's all about love, isn't he? Yeah. Do people get offended because of Jesus? Yeah. I've had people get offended at me. I didn't even preach at them. They just found out I'm a Christian. Let me get you. You offend me. Anyways, we won't talk about that right now. Let's talk about what offending really is. It's stumbling. Jesus is stumbling to people. Because when we speak of Jesus as a believer, as a Christ follower, we're saying we believe that he is Savior, that he's the way. People don't like that because they want their way. See, his messianic activity did not include expulsion of the Romans or restoration of that temple region. You see, the Lord's ways can often be very stumbling to even believers. Do you guys remember King David being offended by God's severity in 2 Samuel 6, 8? And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzziah. 
Why'd you let? He was just trying to help. And he died. Why was my friend bombed in the Middle East? All he was trying to do was share the gospel with the Muslims there who had never even heard of you. We have Jonah was offended by God's mercy in Jonah 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. Why do you want me to go to Nineveh? I don't want to be there. They deserve judgment anyways. Why do you love them? Why do you want to show them mercy? They don't deserve it. You guys even remember Martha, the one that served Jesus? She was even offended by Christ's delay, wasn't she? John eleven twenty one. 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. If you only would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. So much grace is needed when John's messengers come back to him saying, yes, it's him, the one who can do anything, the one who has all power, but he didn't say a word about letting you out of prison. <laughs> right? What do you think John was thinking at that time? Yeah, he's the one. He can do it. But you're stuck, dude. You ain't getting out. You see, there's no explanation. Faith nourished, but the prison doors are left closed. And then the message, blessed is he who is not stumbled because of me. That's all. But God, there's got to be more than that. If God says that's all, that's all, guys. And we got to be okay with that. You see, Christ did not explain himself, but instead he will reveal himself as he did to David, to Jonah, to Martha, to John. And some of you guys who've gone through some things, don't miss how God is wanting to reveal himself to you in that, because he does. Your view of Jesus will change and it will be greater and you will stand more and more in awe of him. You see, what you have expected of the Christian faith, I think often it turns out to be a little different than what we thought it was going to be. Maybe you've learned that just as Jesus didn't come to judge, so we aren't supposed to judge. That Jesus didn't come to build religious walls, so we aren't supposed to do that either. That as Jesus came to reach out to people, to heal, to save, to serve, to bring hope, to care for. So we ought to. But wait a minute, that's not about me. <laughs> I, want to, I want to be the one being served. You see, our work of the church, it is to you know, alleviate the suffering of the human race as Christ did. But it's not our final work. It's not even our primary work. Do you guys understand that? You see, we are to bring men, women, and children into a loving relationship with God Almighty. That's what our primary 
mission, purpose is. I love what G. Campbell Morgan, did I mention him? G. Campbell Morgan, yeah, I did. He's the guy I put up there before, the commentator. He said this, okay, he called it the franchise of eternity. Enough said. Way to go, G. You got it. Big picture stuff. Do we get it, guys? Do we get the big picture? I see people hurting. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love, 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 love them right into hell because I never told them about Jesus. And we see a lot of that going on today. Yeah, we are a faith-based ministry. We just don't talk about Jesus. How many of you guys have heard that before? That bugs the heck out of me. What faith are based? It doesn't even make sense. Anyways, sorry, we're moving on. Wasn't that cool ninja Jesus though? I can make you a t-shirt. <laughs> All right, let's talk about more proof together this morning. Look at verse seven. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go to, out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. How many of your kids are in comfy pants? That's all they want to wear. My kids won't even wear jeans anymore. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm starting to do that too. The only time I wear jeans is like on Sunday to come to church or dressy pants. I love comfy pants. And then I read this this week. I'm just like, I am so spoiled. <laughs> Anyways, but what did you go see? Verse nine, it says what? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet, for this is he whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of a woman, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the day, days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Wow. This is pretty cool. You see, Jesus gives honor to this rugged, rough, faithful, fearless forerunner. Okay? I think it's cool. I think that's why people want to be Baptists, because John the Baptist was a manly man. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyways, <laughs> John was cool, right? Such a great tribute to this man. And guess what, guys? He had doubts. You guys catch what is going on here? He had doubts, and God honored him. I think that's neat. So in verse 7, what did you go out to see? A fickle, vacillating, swinging character of a man? Is that who John was? Not John, okay? He was a man immovable as a mighty tree. He wasn't this unstable reed. He was like a sturdy oak, guys. In verse 8, what did you go out to see? Again, some so soft, effeminate soul, 
some silk-clad attendees of the royal palace. No, not John. He's not like that. He's this locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, manly man. Do you guys get that? Okay, like, I think this picture is kind of cool, but I always imagine his beard being, beard being more gnarly than that with, like, some cricket stuck in it, you know. But, <laughs> but the point is, he's a manly man. So in verses 9 to 11, what did you go out to see? A prophet! Bingo! Exactly. And did you guys catch what Jesus said about him? More than a prophet, right? Matter of fact, the greatest prophet. Verse 10, Jesus said John is the one that the prophet Malachi wrote about. It was about John. Alfred uh, Plummer uh, said about John, the whole man was a sermon. Think about that. The whole man. I want that to be said of me. Don't you want that to be said of you? The whole, if you know that person, their whole life is a sermon. Everything they do. That's the type of man John was. The humblest believer, and I want you guys to catch this. Look at verse 11. Okay, we got to catch what Jesus is saying. It says, but he who is the least then. Okay, we have John, this gnarly, awesome, greatest man, greatest prophet dude, right? But then Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How? Do you guys have a big question mark in your Bible next to that? I do. How? How does that work? How does that make sense? Well, the humblest believer today has a higher position in Christ than John did as a prophet, the greatest prophet. Do you guys understand that? If you are in Christ Jesus, born again of the Spirit, you have a greater position. But pastor, you don't know me. I feel like I'm getting in by the skin of my teeth. Okay? <laughs> I haven't done nothing. Even the least, the least in the kingdom is greater than John. This ain't my words. I'm not trying to puff you up and make you feel special this morning. You're special because of who Christ is and that you are in him. That's why we're special, guys. It's nothing of us. It's because of who he is and us being in him. So John, if we understand this, this is going to get a little deep into this doctrine, okay? I'm hoping to do a study in depth with you guys in the next few months on this. But John belonged to this old dispensation of the law. Okay? What does that mean, pastor? Well, there was a timeline Okay? Believers today, we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's what we're told. So if we think about our position then being higher, John really marked that dividing line in history. John, Old Testament. Okay? They were to look to God in faith, the promise of the coming Messiah. Their faith was to be in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to walk humbly before him, to honor him, okay? to keep his commandments, to trust in him. They're still saved by grace. But it's different today, isn't it, guys? It's radically different today, this side of the cross. So that's something I would love to teach in depth with you guys, get into some dispensations. 
I see it as biblical. I'm not into covenant theology. When we get there someday, it'll explain it all. That's why us as a church, we are not Israel. We have not replaced Israel. Okay, they are the apple of God's eye. He's not done with them. We can take Revelation literally. Almost every church in the valley believes in covenant theology. They haven't rightly divided the word. They don't see. They don't know how to handle this passage that's set right before us where it plainly says that John is that dividing line. Okay, it was him. And Jesus died for the sins of the world. Things changed at that point. We do not become Israel. Okay? Israel is not the church. God is not done with her. Anyways, we'll get into that some other time. So the point here, guys, is even the smallest diamond is stronger than the largest flint. And Jesus had come. You guys understand? God, eternity, had invaded time. Heaven had invaded earth. God had arrived in Jesus. So life could never be the same again. That's why everything has changed. So verse 12, until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So the kingdom and its workers suffer at the hands of violent people who try to prevent or usurp God's rule. What are you talking about, pastor? Turn on the television. We're killing babies and it's okay. There's a vote on Tuesday and I encourage you guys, go vote. Killing babies is not okay. And if you're voting for somebody that's okay with killing babies, that's not okay. You need to ask God, what do you want? You see, I hate that we as a people think it's okay to redefine what a holy God has declared to be right. If he says marriage is between a man and a woman, it's between a man and a woman. I'm not going to vote for somebody that thinks otherwise. Why? Because God is calling the shots. But we do live in a fallen world and we're reaping the consequences of it. And it's sad that we live in a time and a place where we actually have a democracy where we get to vote. You guys understand that the way sin is abounding and the evil that we see that is growing in our nation right before our eyes. It's not like this is the way it's always been, guys. Things are getting weirder and weirder. Boys can think they're girls. And if we say that's wrong, then we're the ones that are not being tolerant, not being loving. No, it's wrong because you just mess that kid up and there's a good chance they're going to have mental illness and end up killing themselves. You guys look at the stats, guys. It's ridiculous how Satan is ripping off our nation. And we guys need to stand in truth. We have an opportunity to be a voice. I encourage you guys to vote. But again, guys, our hope is not in the government. I hate politics. You know, we vote because we have that opportunity. It's something I think is our civil duty. I think it's a place where we get to have a voice of what is right. Okay? But even in voting, no human being, no government party is right. You guys understand that? What about social justice, pastor? Doesn't that party care more about the poor? No! Maybe. I don't know. I don't care. What I do know is God has told us as believers, the church, to take care of the poor. He hasn't asked our government to do it. He's asked us to do it. But I already pay taxes. 
Why don't we just let them take care of it? Because God hasn't asked them to, they don't even know him. How are they supposed to do that? Anyways, you guys get the point? Okay, good. I thought I did that tactfully in love. Point is, (laughs) guys, we need to talk about it. We need to be real about it. We wonder why the church doesn't have the voice because the church doesn't even want to talk about it. You know? Part of the reason I don't like talking about it is because I just think it's stupid. My heart is grieved in the hope we put in people to fix things. It is not until we repent and start doing things God way <laughs> that things are really going to happen, that America will become great again, that there will be healing in our nation. That's what I believe. I thank God. I pray for our leaders. I think some of them have a genuine heart to serve. (laughs) They want the best for our nation. But it's hard, guys. I have ideas, and as your pastor, I can't just come up here and say, hey, this is what I think would be good for us, because I'm a little mess. I'm jacked up. Okay, (laughs) you guys understand. That's why we take the Word of God so seriously. We don't need psychobabble. We need truth, because the truth is going to set us free. Okay, there's victory in Christ, in Christ alone. It is him. And if we are not preaching him and crucified, him crucified, what's the point? We're wasting our time. Sorry, sidetracked. Verse 14. The spirit and characteristic of Elijah. Okay, not the person of. Do you guys catch that? Jesus is not saying that he's actually the prophet Elijah. but the spirit, the characteristic. Now, let's look. We've looked at proof, more proof. You guys want some double proof? Check out verse 16. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in marketplaces and calling to their companions. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John neither came eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the unreasonableness of a generation, they were messed up. We also live in a very unreasonable generation. Do you guys know that? Very unreasonable We can be tolerant of everything except you Christians in Jesus because that's really offensive. Anyways, we won't go back there. One asked, what is the biggest problem with our nation? Ignorance or apathy? To which one came with the response, I don't know and I don't care. (laughs) I just summed up most of our nation. I don't know and I don't care. Here is a searching and scathing rebuke. See, Christ likened their generation onto little kids, little children who wouldn't play anything. Wouldn't play anything. Want to ride bikes? It's too much energy. I just want to play my Xbox. Want to play Monopoly? That takes too long. You see, they complained about both John's asceticism or his self-discipline and Christ's gentleness. 
They had issues with both of these guys. You see, John stayed in the desert being eccentric, okay? So they thought or assumed he must have a demon. Well, we have Jesus. He came, okay, uh, living the life of men, entering into their activities, and they taunted him for loving life's earth's pleasures too much. How dare you? John took rough looking, you know, look on in his clothes. He was a fanatic. We have Jesus here, too smooth. Haven't seen him at, you know, <clears throat> I've seen him at too many parties here. Did you hear, guys, by the way, Jesus? He's been hanging out with sinners. I mean, how ridiculous. Of course he's hanging out with sinners. Aren't you guys glad he hangs out with sinners? Yeah. So they didn't like John, nor John was too serious and Jesus was too sociable. They were just making excuses. Yet, despite their differences, you guys know their message was exactly the same. That's what I love. So if somebody's doing Jesus, living for Jesus a little differently than you, don't judge. God can use that. Okay? I got some brothers I love dearly. They're okay going into bars and sharing the gospel with people that are down and out. They're hurting. They're trying to self-medicate themselves, do away with the sorrows of this life. And their ministry is to go in there and share the gospel with people. I think that's the coolest thing. I don't walk into bars because I don't want you guys walk, driving down College Avenue with your kids. And hey, there's Pastor Landing going into. That's a bar, mommy! You know, what's our pastor doing? You know what I'm saying? So, you guys get the point. The point is, God has made many appeals in many different ways through many different people. All sorts of people. We have the patriarchs we read about in the scriptures, the prophets, the kings, the priests. Okay, we have the apostles come on this. All these different messengers. He uses all these different types of people. They have come, and yet they were met with this willful and childish discontent. You see, John came fasting and they called him crazy i came fasting and they called me a lush and a friend of the riffraff opinion polls don't count for much do they the proof of the pudding is in the eating wow yeah you're old you know that right so final proof matthew 11:19. The last part of it says, "But wisdom is justified by her children." What does that little phrase mean? What was Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying the proof's in the pudding, right? Or as the 14th century proverb James tells us, the proverb of the pudding is in the eating, right? I didn't know that, but now I do. You see, pudding actually meant that portion of the pig's intestines that would be tied with a pudding stick. Okay, and the sticks would be on both ends, and they would stuff it with all sorts of meat, fats, grains, and spices, kind of like a sausage. You guys ready for potluck? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't say whether it is good or not until you partake of it. It's the same thing with Christianity, guys. I can say, hey, we got a potluck after service, it's going to be yummy. Unless you actually go down and partake of it, you're going to have no clue if I'm telling you the truth or not. It's the same thing with Jesus. Okay? I hate the bumper sticker. 
Do you guys have bumper stickers that you hate? I hate the one that says, try Jesus. I hate it. You don't try Jesus. It doesn't work that way. I'll believe, oh, I'm trying to live godly and I'm being persecuted. I tried it. It sucked. I'm out. You don't try. Anyway, you guys get the point? I normally like Jesus bumper stickers, but that one just rubs me. Um, So one really can't try to be a Christian or Christianity. He says instead, eat my body, drink my blood to make his point. So the results really vindicated his method. So do you guys get it? Do you get it? Christian, you and I are the proof. That's what Jesus is saying here. I don't like that responsibility. Responsibility. No, I don't want it. Well, you have it if you're born again. Whether you like it or not. Okay, you are salt and light. Period. So we are to be God's final answer. Now, I want to end study this morning by one of uh, my favorite artists, very renowned, Gustav Dorr. Julie, don't you got a biblical book of all his pictures? No, you don't. I have your book. <laughs> have you been wondering where it is? Yeah, I have your book, Julie. So if you want it back, you can take it or you can keep <laughs> letting me borrow it and enjoy it. Well, my mom actually borrowed it, but then I took it from her. She gave it to me like, you like this. It's Julie Waters. Give it back to her when you're done. Anyways, so the good stuff by Dor, that's how I remember his name, okay? Have you guys seen some of his pictures before? Is this art kind of ringing a bell? Like, hey, I've seen stuff done, that type of art. He's got tons of it. Um, and he's got a lot of neat works. I love this picture of them, Adam and Eve, being driven out of the garden. Um, I love that picture. That's one of my faves. Um, he lived from 1821 to 1883. Now, he lost his passport when he was traveling in Europe. When he came to a border crossing, he explained his predicament to one of the guards, giving his name to the official. Dor hoped that he would be recognized and then he'd just be allowed to pass. Uh, The guard, however, said many people have attempted to cross the border by claiming to be a person that they were not. Dor insisted that he was the man that he claimed to be. All right, the official said, we'll give you a test, and if you pass it, we'll let you go through. So handing him a pencil and a sheet of paper, he told the artist to sketch several peasants standing nearby. Well, Dor did it so quickly and skillfully that the guards were convinced that he was who he claimed to be. So do you guys understand with Jesus, his work confirmed his word. And it did with Jesus. It did with Dor here, okay? The works confirmed him. But how about yours? How about yours? I purposely wanted to close our time this morning in communion, coming to the Lord's table. Yesterday during our prayer in uh, discipleship, Uh, Jerry had mentioned, talking about the Lord's table, how cool it was that Jesus never left. He never left the table. He was there. He knew Judas was going to betray him. Okay, Judas went on his way. He knew Peter would betray him. 
he knew all these guys. Except for John, who was like, uh, you know, leaning up against him, his bosom there. Like, oh, I love you. I'm the beloved of you. Yay. You know? But the thing is, guys, when Jerry's just mentioned, it just hit me. Like, that's absolutely right. He welcomes us to the table, and he's never going to leave us, no matter how small, <laughs> no matter how bad we've messed up or how fall, far we fall short. He is there for us, and he welcomes us to his table and he won't leave we get to come as we are but something that god's asked us to do when we come to his table is to examine ourselves and that's what i'd like us to do this morning as we come to the lord's table remembering his life his sacrifice we can believe his word because of what he did i'd like us to examine ourselves in that same way as a child of god <laughs> Am I doing that work? And what is that work, guys? The work of God is believing on Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures say. Are we truly believing? Because if we're truly believing, there's going to be works. We're not saved by those works. But because we truly believe, there are going to be things that people look into our lives and say, hey, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? I can tell just by watching. You're different. You're loving. Why is this? So I encourage you guys, as we partake in communion together, really ask God to examine your heart. If there's any sin in there, that he would reveal that, that that can be dealt with. Okay? I want to encourage you as my brothers and sisters, we have a good God. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall. But he's right there. He picks us back up. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. We have a good God. So...